0: You're listening to Your Recovered Life Series, True Stories From the Future, with your host, Courtney Webster. Hi. I'm Courtney Webster and this is Your Recovered Life, and today I'm really happy to be talking to, can I call you my friend? No, of course. Ross Remian. Um, let me read a little bit about him and then we'll get right to it. Ross Remian is the founder and CEO of Living Rebos, an intensive outpatient program in Los Angeles that is dedicated to providing the life skills, treatment protocols, and individual support needed to help each individual successfully achieve sobriety. Ross had a severe addiction to drugs and alcohol for 16 years. He has faced his own addictions and totally understands what his clients go through when trying to achieve their personal goals. Ross is known to help clients with unique techniques to see their true potential. He has created Rebos to help people achieve the same success And happiness that he has found and I'm so happy you're talking with me today thank you Uh,
1: thanks for having me
0: yeah cool so um, the first thing I like to ask is have you found your calling and what is it
1: yeah I believe I have found my calling I've never felt um, you know my goal when I went into treatment you know seven years ago was to find my personal rhythm as I call it and um, I've never felt more in rhythm in my life So, and whether that's my, whether that's my job, whether that's my family, whether that's my marriage, um, it just, there's a rhythm. It doesn't feel awkward. It just feels natural. Um, so yeah, I would
0: say I have. That's great. That's great. Cool. I like the way you describe it in rhythm. I think people have described it different ways, but that's like that flow thing that I know I'm always hungry for. I feel like things are, if things feel like they're in flow, I'm like, I think I'm doing it right.
1: (laughs) No, it sits well with you. you. You sleep well at night. It's, I don't wish to be anybody else. I don't want to do anything else. Um, there's always a lot of great opportunities in the world, but this just feels natural.
0: Cool. That's yeah. great. That's great. Well, you do it beautifully. I have to say, um, I remember meeting you. It was a couple years ago, and you were, it was two years ago, right? Because you were, you were starting um, Rebos, and I had heard about it, and uh, I came to, I think, your open house, the first, yeah. the first one, and... Was just like, heard you talk with such passion about what you were doing. And I went to your website. Go to the website. He has this amazing walk and talk video that tells you about who he is. If you want to know more about Ross, that is a great place to start besides listening here. But I just was really struck by your just super authentic passion for creating something that would help people from a place where you had suffered a lot of pain. Yeah. yeah. Very so, much. do you want to talk about you know what happened? Do you want to talk a little bit about uh, getting? I mean, because we we mostly focus on what happens. So you get sober and what happens. But you know, as we've talked about, part of your process includes what happened before. So um, well, let's stick with it. Let's stick with the format and see see where you want to draw from. So you get sober.
1: Yeah, <laughs> and what I got. No, and from where I'm at now really started um, probably a year before I actually even got sober. Um, and because re- you really have to look at the whole thing as a package, at least for where I'm from, um, you know, how I how I live and how I see myself, because I don't want to discredit any moment, any time, anything. So I kind of look at it, a year before I actually got sober. Um, I'd been through treatment over... I think seven different treatment facilities over 10 years and the year before i i stayed sober now you know a little over seven years now um I, this whole thing for rebos kind of started taking shape without even me knowing that it was it was going to be my calling um and i had just literally i had i came up with rebos as a um as a resort um and I needed to find something to do with my life because I've been kind of kicked out of my family business. I've been kind of, um, you know, basically, you got to go find something to do for yourself. You've got to, you've got to become your own man, um, so to say. So, you know, I'd written a bunch of stuff on a, on a legal pad of paper um, along, while I was in, treat, in one of my treatment centers, including on the exact same, I call it now my business plan, including a departure date to get out of rehab early. Um but a business plan of what I wanted Rebos to be. And so I held on to that paper for whatever reason. And then fast forward one year, basically to the date I went into my last treatment center. And within the first week of my treatment, I was totally out of my mind. Um I just come off a huge um just a total bender. And um one of my counselors said to me, he goes, so what are you going to do? And I said, I have no idea what I'm going to do. Um, I think I've been to treatment enough that I could probably do a couple groups and a couple individual sessions. Um, you know, I should have a degree in this. Um, were you being
0: kind of a smart ass or did you feel like you wanted to, do, wanted to work in treatment?
1: Um, no, just being a smart ass uh, because it's like I was so frustrated. I mean, how many, I mean, I'm a chronic relapser. I mean, in this industry, chronic relapsers are a dime a dozen. I mean, there's very few people that unfortunately get this after the first shot. And he kind of looked at me and kind of gave me this thing. And he goes, he goes, so what are you going to do? I go, I don't know. I'm just trying to find myself. And he goes, that's not going to work out for you. And I go, what do you mean? And he goes, you need to start creating yourself. You have all of these opportunities going by you. I gave him my little history over the last blank amount of years. And he goes, all I hear is opportunities, and you're trying to find yourself. He goes, Why aren't you grabbing any of these opportunities? Why? It's like you're sitting on a park bench watching truckloads of opportunities drive by you and they keep slowing down and or stopping in front of you and you're not jumping on board. What what are you what are you looking to do? Are you looking to have somebody literally hold your hand and pull you on board or what's going on? And mm-hmm. I really I thought about that for like a couple days and it just started making sense to me. I'm like, finding myself is just it doesn't make sense. I said, I'm old enough now that I can create myself. I was kind of kid around finding yourself is for when you're in your young twenties and you're cruising around Europe and it with a backpack, um, trying to find yourself. But once you get you know old enough, you have so many opportunities that are presented to you, whether you're a good person, a bad person, a medium person, whatever it is. Um, so I just started kind of creating myself and I really just started Putting the pieces together of all of my actions, of all of my opportunities, and all I knew is um, I was just um, really didn't know what what that brought. I just had a I had a lot of information on yeah. a lot of piece of paper.
0: When you said the, all these opportunities, like what were all these opportunities?
1: I, I mean opportunities from 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 dating for the perfect girl to. Um, to jobs, to having different, you know, opportunities in business to, you know, whether that's part-time jobs, careers, um, opportunities for, um, you name it. I mean, on every characteristic of everything, it's just, it always seemed like I needed a, like a big formal limit. As I look back, it just seemed like I needed a, um, I had all these opportunities and I didn't bite on any of them. And it was almost like, what, I, what, what do I need? Like a formal invitation to jump on board? If I mean, if somebody says, hey, come on, let's go do this, mm-hmm. whether it's to a restaurant, to a job, to dating a nice girl, to uh, every, everything, yeah, um, yeah. why didn't I bite on any of that? Yeah. What, what, was, what was the cause of that? Was it fear? Was it just being, you know, lazy? What was that?
0: And is that while you were um, in your addiction, active addiction, that all those opportunities were showing up?
1: both in and out. I mean, opportunities. I mean, you could be incarcerated in jail and there's
0: opportunities,
1: opportunities everywhere. Um, It just depends on what you choose to, you know, get off your butt and go do.
0: Yeah. I felt like when I was, um, when I was in my addiction and I didn't know I was in, I didn't, I wouldn't have at that point called myself a drug addict or an alcoholic at all. Like the land of denial was alive and well in my life. But I was really clear that, I I felt like I had all this potential, like I had I had potential but I I didn't know what was getting in my way. And what's so interesting is like, well now, oh, guess what? You know, drugs and alcohol were really getting in your way. But there was that feeling of of not being able to somehow get into action around stuff. Did you feel like when you were when you were talking to that counselor, like I had all these? You, when you were describing all the opportunities, were you frustrated about not knowing what to do or how to find yourself? What was that feeling like?
1: Well, it's funny. The more that I've stepped away from the old Ross of seven years ago, I'm I can really look back at even more missed opportunities. You know, in those first couple of days, like it, you know, you can only see so far in your first couple of days of sobriety, your first year of sobriety, you know, looking back. Um, it's amazing. It just takes some time to really let the fog clear away and then also your ego to go down and to really go, man, I kind of blew it on that one or whatever it is. Um, but I totally agree with what you just said. Um, that just that that's me. I think that's most people. You know, you don't even know how deep you are. You don't know what you've missed until it's, you know passed you by, um, and you see somebody else, you know, having a great time with that, that situation, that opportunity. Right. Um, right. Yeah.
0: All right. Cool. So, um, you said you had written down your plan for Rebos a year before that though. Mm -hmm. What, 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 what did you written down? What were you talking about?
1: Well, my whole idea was, is I had every treatment center that I had gone into, it, it felt like there was something missing and it felt like, you know, it just felt like it was, There's something missing. And so I just started writing things that down that I would, that I would like, I was like, I know that I have a drug problem. I am smoking crack cocaine, thousands of dollars worth per day. You know, I, I don't need a PhD to tell me I have a drug problem. I, I, I know this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, I don't think there was one treatment center that I went through or one time trying to get sober that I didn't have a problem saying, you know, surrendering to the idea that, that, you know, admit that you have a problem. Yeah, it's it's obvious. Uh Um, I'm doing drugs. Um, And you've known since third grade once that little dog comes to your school and tells you, you know, the cop dressed in the dog outfit, you know, don't do drugs, kids. Um, You've known this is bad. And I had great parents and don't do drugs, Ross, don't drink, don't do drugs, blah, blah, blah. Um, so that wasn't a hard one for me to bite onto. Um, but what I wrote down on this piece of paper was just things that besides knowing what your triggers are, what else do I need? Um, because this seemed to be a lot more than just me just not doing drugs mm-hmm. because my will and my desire was there to get sober from the first treatment center that I went to back in the early 2000s was totally there. But yet I would keep relapsing. And when I relapse, it wasn't like, yeah, I'm going to go out and relapse. This is a great idea. I mean, I felt guilt. I felt shame. I felt remorse, the whole gamut of stuff. Um, yeah, I was high as a kite and I was having a good time, but my next, but I had to do more drugs to know that I was having you know, to to have a good time so I could kind of block that out. Mm -hmm. So I literally wrote out what I wanted meetings to be like. Um, what outside activities, um, whether that's social or, um, or work related. Um, I was just, I, I didn't know this at the time, but when I look back back at it now, it was like, I wasn't trying to reinvent the wheel on how to get sober. I was trying to make the wheel more efficient. Um, cause I look at treatment, treatment's been going around since, you know, from you know, some of these big treatment centers that have been around that are, you know, out in the desert and up in northern Minnesota and all that, not to lay any names on them, but they've been around for a long, long time. And and they're great. And I, you know, and I've been to most of these places and I've definitely picked up a lot of good um, information from them. But for such a deadly, supposed deadly disease that alcoholism and drug addiction is, why, why is why is this the only one that's, you know, it just seems like all these treatment centers were just only addressing the drug issues. But what about my belief issues? What about my action issues? What about everything else? It really just seemed like they weren't touching enough on it. And then after you're done with your 28 days or your 60 days or whatever amount of time you're in there, it's just, you have to, you're left to do more on your own. And, and even when you're doing the steps, it's, I, I was trying to do the steps, but there was so much information inside of me that had to be organized for me to even comprehend the steps. Mm-hmm. And so I just started writing out, you know, before you can do 2 through 12 in step work, um, Mindy and I had the problem. That's easy. For me it was.
0: Right. That
1: was done. Okay. But now 2 through 12 – And was like, I can't go to those because I've got all this other, like, going on in my head. I can't even comprehend how to do this stuff. There's more stuff that has groundwork, foundation that needs to be laid. Because the rest of the steps I really look at is kind of, it's like decoration for your your mind. It's like, I needed to really build a foundation to my house, and then I can start decorating the inside of it. Mm -hmm, mm Mm-hmm. Um, so I literally just wrote out a bunch of stuff that needed to be done and it, for me needed to be done before I could even comprehend m- moving on. Um, and so that's kind of what I did and that's what Rebos has turned into.
0: Right. So you did that I, a year before, a year before you got sober, you'd written out this. Here's, here's what would be, here's what I would like to have. Um, present in my recovery. Here's this is what, what I, I need this is in my need. life. right?
1: And I brought this to, to the attention of my counselors. And of course, when you go into treatment, you know, counselors like, please stop trying to fix our program. Please stop trying to do this. Just surrender to the process. And I'm like, I'm all about surrendering to the process. I, I literally drove myself here. I made the phone call. I paid for it. I did the whole thing. But you have to understand, I'm telling you where I'm at right now. And I can't go to the next level that you want me to go to or the next group or the next individual or the whatever it is, the next step, blah, 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 without this and this and this explained to me, organized, whatever it was. Mm -hmm. Um, and And nobody seemed to listen to that. They just weren't willing to, I don't know, certain counselors were willing to meet you where you're at and certain counselors are just, are, reading it off like a textbook, of like, okay, this is where you should be now. It's day 10. You Mm -hmm. should be here. Well, no, I'm a slow learner. Day 10 for me is like hour 10. Uh Uh (laughs) So um, that's kind of how I looked at it. So I wrote all this stuff down. Yeah. and
0: And so then he said, so then that was, that was at one treatment center and then it was a next one. That you, that he said, you what you're wanting all these opportunities. You want to find yourself, but you've had all these opportunities. What you got to create yourself. Is that is that how it happened?
1: Well, yeah. He, well, what happened was he goes. I showed him my list. I, I, and this is a little foggy because this was back then. But I just kind of explained to him what was really going on in my head. And I said, my will. And, and this guy's name was Keith. And I said, Keith, my will and my desire to be sober is is there. I'm beat down. I'm 147 pounds. I'm six feet two. I mean, I need to gain 50 pounds. I mean, I'm a mess right now. My family will not talk to me. Forget about family sessions. Forget about all that stuff. They're over it. And he just really listened to me. And he just, he was he's a very special man. And he just kind of met me where I was at. And maybe, you know, and not to discredit any of these other counselors that I had or anything like that, because I'm the first to admit I was a mess. I probably wasn't explaining myself very well. I probably was not the most um, um, polite individual, uh-huh. I guess, in treatment. That's for sure. Um, but it just seemed it was just so much like a robot-like system. Um, and he just met me where I was at. and We just did one thing at a time. We broke it down so I could have little bits of achievement. Having one day sober wasn't an achievement for me. It was, I had to have all of this drama, all this chaos that I have, that I created for myself. I needed it organized and or cleaned up, um, and put it aside. Um, just, I mean, cause otherwise I'd be, you know, not, I was going to treatment for 90 days. I'm like, I don't want to be 90 days and being a dry drunk. I got to start getting some of the stuff. It's mm-hmm. like having piles of mail on your desk. You, you gotta just open one at a time and just go through it.
0: Right, <laughs> right. And so then how did you, so how did you get from these ideas of what recovery should look like to, Hey, I'm going to open a treatment center. Well,
1: you have to have a goal and whatever you do in this world, whether you're losing weight, trying to go to the gym to get in shape for the beach, um, whether you're trying to grow a business, um, whatever it is in this world you're trying to do, moving, dating, anything, everything has a goal at the end of it. Um, whether it's a positive goal or a negative goal, there is a goal. So I had to find something to aim for. Um, and so I just, all I said was I didn't know I wanted to open a treatment center for probably I had an idea for a treatment center, but all I knew was is for the next year of my life, I was just gonna, I was just gonna do what people told me to do. And then at about 11 months, that's when I decided I wanted to open a treatment center. Um, And all I did was is I, I was just, I, after I left treatment, I started cutting the lawn at a treatment center that I, that I went to, um, literally just, I was a gardener. I cut the lawn, I planted flowers, I cut down trees, I planted trees, you name it. I did it. Hung drywall, changed light bulbs, everything.
0: So that was like your first job in this sobriety.
1: It was my, it was my first honest job Uh in life. Wow. Um, yeah, that's the way that I looked at it. Um, cause I was going at it honest, uh, honestly, I wasn't doing drugs while I was at work. I wasn't lying there. I just, I showed up on time. I took my breaks on time. I paid my taxes. I just, I was an I was a, I was a productive person in society. Um, granted very bitter, but I was a productive <laughs> okay. person in society
0: okay.
1: <laughs> nonetheless. Um, <laughs> And so it was a year later when I actually got the opportunity, somebody had asked me, he goes, um, I I had been messing around with an idea for a treatment center to work with a whole different type of clientele than I do now. And I was just kind of messing around with the whole idea of it. And And what do
0: you mean by messing around with
1: it? Messing around with it, just kind of playing with it in my head, you know, writing some numbers down on paper, writing some ideas, more ideas down on paper, seeing if it's doable. Mm -hmm. And I quickly realized, and I actually even had the money to go do it. Uh, from a from an investor he's like oh i believe in you you're doing really well in this this is at 11 months sober after 16 years of chaos and 11 months before i just walked into treatment being awake for nine days smoking crack cocaine so 11 months later he's like oh i'm gonna give you a, a gajillion dollars and you can go open up this treatment center in malibu and blah 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 and i was really giddy about it and then about a week later i had this like epiphany in my head um what are you doing? You're 11 months sober. You don't, you've held a, a, landscaping job for 11 months or six months. Um, and then I had moved up in the treatment facility I was that I kind of worked as a, as one of the intake people. And then I did some other things, kind of worked up the ladder um, naturally. And, but I was like, I don't know anything about anything. Forget about treatment, but just life. I mean, I'm still living in a sober living.
0: Uh
1: I mean, so I had an opportunity come to my hands, but I had to have the strength and the power to recognize that this opportunity right now is not a good opportunity. Yes, I would have learned a ton from it, but I could have relapsed over the stress that was involved in it. I could have have wasted some man's money. Uh, um, So I kind of just... I let the money go. I let the idea go in some ways, and I just held on to it. And I decided my dad died when I was, uh, when I was very young, when I was about 10 years old. And I don't, I don't remember much of my dad, but I do remember one time overhearing a conversation when he was talking on the phone to a guy saying, you need to learn on somebody else's dime if you really want to be successful in life because you might as well make mistakes on somebody else's dime than your own. So I just kind of thought, I don't know why that popped into my head, but I was just like, you know what, I'm just, this is what I'm going to do. And I, I this friend of mine, she was she told me about a class at UCLA to become an addiction, um, get a, certified as an addiction counselor. So I did that. So I went to UCLA, just banged that out. And I just started working in the industry and just being very patient um, and just went through all the, the growth that's with it. And you know, I always just had a goal in my head. I'm going to open up a treatment center. After that time, I said, in five years of sobriety, I am going to make a real honest effort to create my own treatment center. Um, and or sober living with a little mini treatment center on the site, something like that. Uh-huh. And I just stuck to my guns. I learned as much as I could. I volunteered for every single thing that I could. I worked at a couple different treatment centers. I just, I went in there as it not being a job where I was making an hourly wage. I went in there as an education. I looked at it myself as like i'm I'm a paid intern for myself
0: uh-huh,
1: uh-huh. Uh, that's literally what I looked at it as I'm like people were always complaining about the money that we were being paid, and i just I just kind of chuckled because I just was like I'm a paid intern. this is what I'm doing um this is not my my career is not to work for somebody else. my career is to work for my 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 goal is not to work for somebody. But my, my goal right now is to learn from somebody else and then to have my own place, to be my own career, to, to give me uh, stability for the rest of my life. Um, so I, I had a paid internship that I gave to myself uh-huh. in the sense of that.
0: Were you telling uh, people? Were you, was this kind of like a secret? Because you know, sometimes people say to really, like, have a goal, like tell people about it keeps it real or where, where were you with that
1: yes certain goals you should tell people about but when you're thinking about opening up your own treatment center or a business that might rival with the place that you're at or something along that lines um i told my therapist about it that i was seeing my aftercare um, therapist and you know my, my close people and everybody knew that i was always brewing something mm-hmm. but you know i just played my cards very close to my vest and i just kind of plugged away and that's what it was and then um, I started, it just started kind of coming together even more as I was in there. My goal of having a treatment center became more real because I'm just, or getting more clear of what it actually would be. Um, and then, um, you know, I went from being a chemical dependency counselor at a treatment center and then my private practice just blew up with clients all over the world that I was Skyping with, that I was talking to. It was kind of I was like a motivational coach to a chemical dependency counselor. Um, I had clients all over the world, from Guam to Moscow to um, Indonesia, all over the place.
0: Uh-huh. Uh, wow, that's that's really cool.
1: No, it was really weird. Um, How
0: did it grow? How did it grow so big word, and wide? And
1: word of mouth, like every organically and word of mouth. Um, the treatment center I was working at, they had you know given my name to a couple of people. I was going around and giving um, kind of motivational speeches and talks or lectures or I don't know groups. Um, And I was very authentic. I did not do groups by what I found in a textbook. I did my groups by what helped me. And if, and I just went into it that way, I just said, this is what I did. This is my, this is my background. And this is my education, you know, seven treatment centers, 10 years of trying to get sober, This is what people had told me. This is what I fought against. This is what I had to eat my words on. And, you know, the whole thing. I was just honest about it. And it just grew. And then um, when the time was right, a couple other people came into my life just kind of, um, I I don't know, divine intervention. I I don't know. When the time is right, the universe will tell you, will present um, opportunity for you. And it will feel like your national rhythm. And, and that's what happened. And it just, all of a sudden, um, I've got my girlfriend. I told her to quit her job. We're sitting in our old apartment. She has my crazy ideas in my head. And she's one of the few people that can take my ideas and put them onto paper. I can't even do that. But she was able to do that. Um, and next thing you know, the... Just the honesty and the purity behind the whole idea. All these opportunities came. It was. People always said that would happen, and it's um, and it did. I, I, I don't know what to say. I mean, yeah, it was hard work and it was sticking to your guns, but it was just. If you, I didn't rush it. I didn't. I didn't do anything. It just, I let it naturally happen. Um, it's emotional to think about.
0: Yeah, it's. Well, I think it's what we always what we hope will happen. I think that there's like this this wish, like if it, when when it's, I don't know, cause I was looking, right? I was looking for my calling and trying to figure out my thing. And, and I felt, um, I love how you kind of nurtured yours along the way you kind of knew what it was, but I didn't know. I was just like, damn it. I, cause I had had success in other careers and I felt like there was something I was supposed to be doing, but I didn't know what it was. And um, I read books about it. And I was like, just wanted to figure it out. And I was, and the books I read, I was hoping that there was going to be something in there that they would be like, this is how you do it. This is exactly how you do it. And what, like, there was this one book I read called, What Should I Do With My Life? Like, right? The question I was asking. And I was like, great, all these people are going to share their stories. And it was, Awesome and it was horrible at the same time because I read these stories. It's this really cool book by Poe Bronson and he talks about he just talks to all these people and and how they went from like one career dramatically to another or just how their life was shaped and how they ended up in this place. And it was just like they had to go through what they went through to get to where they went, right? That's just, that's just what it is. So what, what my hope is in sharing these stories with people is that they can hear different ways that it happened for people and maybe go, oh, that's kind of happening for me. Or, oh, maybe that's what I want to pay attention to. Because when it showed up for me, someone actually said to me, um, you should, uh, I said I didn't know what I wanted to do about uh, what, what, what my career was going to be after having a baby. And she said, oh, you should, um, you might want to talk to this life coach I know. And in no way did I hear her say, you should get some coaching from her. What I heard was, that's right. I want to be a life coach. Wow. And I didn't figure that out until a couple months ago. That I was like, oh, you know what? I think she was recommending that I work with her. Not that I talked to her about coaching because that was a secret dream. And I didn't even know it was a secret dream. That's what's crazy. Wow. So, um so, you know, you're right. Like, I, I understand the emotional part. It's like, and then when it shows up, it's like, and it does feel like you're connected to a rhythm or something. I mean, the way I've watched you create this is, I mean, with such enthusiasm and, and, and passion for the people that you're helping and using the pain and the struggle and the triumph that you've gone through to create this space for people. And it's blowing up. I mean, it's, it's doing what you wanted it to do, and you're having tremendous success, right?
1: It's, yeah, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. I don't, you know, one of the things you just said I thought was really, was interesting is you had read these books, and I think, you know, the biggest things that I see people that don't have success is you can read every single help, help, self-help book out there. And they basically all say the exact same thing, different vocabulary here or there, depending on the subject of what you're trying to get help with. Um, And they can literally lay it out for what you need to do. Um, And you can go into treatment center and they can kind of lay out what you need to do. But the two biggest things that I see that stop people from going to that next level, finding their personal rhythm, however you want to call this, is fear and quitting before right when it gets really hard right when it gets really frustrating people just say "Ah, i'm done i'm out um and that definitely happened to me i've got fear on a daily basis um there is there are definitely days where you just want to lay in bed and certain days you know you kind of have to listen to your body and do that but um but fear and just giving up right before the magic happens because you got frustrated and then all of a sudden somebody came out and just, you know, dropped a little something in your bucket and you're like boom. Um, but that's what it is. And most people they give up right before it happens. And that and what why are they giving up? Is it is it really a dead end? Um are you seeing a wall or can the wall be walked around or can you climb over it? Um or is it just fear of having success? But um there's I mean, I'm still fighting with the fear every day. You know, my political place is growing very fast, and you know, do you add on? Do you do you keep it how it is? Do you? And then there's fear of adding on, just because you have all this thing and more people want to come. Well, do you get a bigger building? Do you do you add more counselors? That's more money. That's more time. That's this. That's that. It's, there's fear in there because what happens if it doesn't work right? Then you just go back to to. I mean, I don't know. It's just. It's fear, 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 ego, and, and, um, and jumping ship before, before it gets good.
0: What would you say to somebody who's feeling scared right now?
1: Um, you have to ask yourself, what, what, what is it? What kind of fear being scared is it? Like what's driving it? You know, is it, there's a reason behind it. Really investigate it. You know, it's just not, fear is too big of a word. There's there's good fear. I mean, there's good fear of adrenaline rush. I mean that, you know, my nephew skydives and I'm like, aren't you scared about that? He goes, yeah, I'm scared to death. But, but it's like, but it's like a good scared that he likes to do when he goes skydiving. I'm a big water skier. I like to be dragged behind a boat going, you know, 50 miles an hour. Um, there's a little fear behind that because the water's like cement when you hit it, but it's great. Um, you know, it's all that stuff. Um, but then there's, fear that when you go into a haunted house there's fear that you know somebody's going to leave you there's different levels of fear Mm -hmm. so you really got to categorize that fear fear is way too big of a general term um success is a you know you really got to break it down any any emotion can be broken down into five to ten different parts um but that's really what it is um yeah
0: cool can you share what um because i uh where the name um, Living Rebos came from?
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, I uh, seven years ago, my counselor kept telling me you have to get sober, and um, the idea of being sober to me was ridiculous. The word "sober" is ridiculous. I mean, I'm I lived a lifestyle that was, I mean, very thrilling, I guess, in some ways, either to watch or to live or um, entertaining to some, but. I mean, it was, it was pretty wild. And I said, the idea, I said to Keith, I go, the idea of being sober was, um, that word just sounds obnoxious. So I was kind of being a smart ass. And I just, um, I said, I got to be something, but I don't want to be sober. Um, I mean, I, I, I do want, I don't want to do drugs. I do not want to drink. I know I can't do that for the rest of my life, but the idea of walking around telling people that I'm sober is just silly. Um, I could not identify with that. So me being a, um, little sharp tongue that I am, um, I just flipped around the word sober. I created the word rebose. Um, and I just said, I'll be living a Rebos way of life. Um, I'll be living Rebos, living sober. Um, he goes, I don't care what you call it, uh, but you got to be that uh, because this is not working out. Um, you've been up for nine days, you weigh 147 pounds and you look like you just got hit by a bus and it's still dragging you. So I just kind of came up with it that way. Because sobriety to me, that's when I really realized that me being for people to be sober, it is so much more than just not drinking and doing drugs. To me, that is a piece of cake. Not to drink and do drugs on the big scale is, is, you know, your will and desire not to drink and do drugs is awesome and commendable to anybody. But at the end of the day, and I tell my clients this all the time, it doesn't really mean much. Because how many times have you relapsed, especially with chronic relapses, how many times have you relapsed? And you said to yourself, I don't want to drink and do drugs, but yet you're still relapsing. So there's more to it. So I really look at, you know, the typical sober aspect of things of not drinking and doing drugs that a lot of people have preached for decades now um, isn't accurate. This is about how you go about your life on a daily basis, your attitude, how you respect yourself, your others, um, how, what you believe in, your actions, um, keeping your ego in line, admitting when you're wrong. Um, and uh, that's really what it was. So living a rebose way of life, when I kind of coined that for myself, um, was more than just not drinking and doing drugs. This was, I have to be a productive person in society, and you know, what is that all about?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So that's oh. what I did with it.
0: I love it. I love uh, I love your rebel. Like You're like, I'm going to spell it backwards. Yeah. I did that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm a smart ass. <laughs> that's, uh, great. that's great. I'm a rebel in the other way. Like, people be like, you tell me to go left, I go right. And I'm like, yeah. oh, you tell me to go left, I'll go left. But I'm going to go around the corner. I'm going to go behind the building. I'm going to go around. I'm gonna... But I'm kind of like, make it look good on the outside. So I kind of like, totally. I always kind of want to borrow a little bit of that, like, Rebos. That's right. Yeah, so totally. thank totally. you. Thank you for demonstrating how you can take that. And really um, kind of honor it because what you were doing there was your truth. It was your rebellion, but it was also your truth. And sticking with something that felt like it was important and coming from somewhere that was bringing you to the right place, like even if you didn't know it exactly.
1: you got to get feisty. When you're getting sober, this is not something where you sit back on. you got to get kind of pissed. you got to realize that you are in a – whether you're trying to get sober or you're trying to change your life or achieve a goal, you need to get feisty. You need to realize that you are in a street fight and a street fight is not organized. There is a lot of cheap shots. There's a lot of stuff that comes up. This isn't just, you know, you and whatever you're going at, you know, two fists, you know, whatever you're coming at, it's got a gun, it's got a bat, it's got a knife, it's got a cannon. You gotta, you gotta kind of get feisty. You kind of have got a little attitude. You kind of have to start strutting, not a swagger, but kind of a strut uh, with passion and you got it. You got to get it going. You got to get a vitality that I i, I'm, I am I not living like this anymore. This is what I'm doing. Um, you got to get jacked up. You got to. Otherwise, what are you doing? Yeah, because yeah, then you're just sitting there waiting for life to happen. You are not creating your life. You got to get motivated. You got to look like every minute people come into treatment is spiritually bankrupt. You have to be leaving treatment and going through life being spiritually profitable. And that's what people should be looking at on a daily basis. Whether they're selling car parts, they're getting people sober, whatever it is. What am I going to do today to to continue to make myself spiritually profitable in this world? Period.
0: That's awesome. Well, I usually at the end say, is there anything you'd like to tell somebody who's going through this part? And I feel like you just said it. I feel like you just said it. I love that feisty. Thank you for sharing your passion and for, and for creating what you've created. And, and honestly, you are an inspiration. You're the way you just described it about feisty and strut, like on those days when I'm feeling like, "Hmm," like we all do, right? Like we can pretend we don't, but we all have them. I'm going to be like, where's my strut?
1: Yeah. You got to find it. You got to strut with passion, not with arrogance, but with passion.
0: Yeah. I love it. Thank you so much for sharing your story, and thank you so much for doing everything you're doing. It's awesome. It.
1: Be brave, everybody. Be brave.
0: Thanks, Ross. To get in touch with Ross or to find out more about Rebos, check out his website, livingrebos.com. That's Living livingrebos.com. To get in touch with me, check out my website at yourrecoveredlife.com. And if you have a true story to share, I'd love to hear from you send a note to Courtney at yourrecoveredlife.com. And thanks for listening.